Um, if you've been around, or uh, if you haven't been around, we'll catch you up to speed. Um, we are working through a series in the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is the longest sermon recorded in the Bible. Uh, even if you're not familiar with Christianity, or even if it's, uh, you're not a Christian, you're probably familiar with a lot of the things that Jesus talks about here. Probably some of the most well-known words that Jesus of Nazareth ever spoke are found in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus is doing in this sermon. We're getting to the end of it today, but, but here's what Jesus has been doing all throughout this sermon. He's been talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's been talking about the kingdom of God. He's been saying, I'm the king. I'm here to bring my kingdom to earth, and I want to invite you into it. I want to invite you into life the way that God created it to be. That's why Jesus starts this sermon the way that he does, all the way back, I guess seven months ago maybe, when we started this this series, all the way back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where he says the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. He talks about all of this blessing, and he says, blessedness is the way to happiness. It's another word that means happy or flourishing. It means the good life. It means the life that really is life. And so Jesus talks about that all throughout this sermon. But what we've seen, and what you, you see if you pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount, is that Jesus is constantly turning our expectations upside down. From the very first verse, he says, Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are mourning and weeping and heartbroken, because they're going to be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the humble, the lowly, that have not sinned. Alright. Blessed are the have-nots, because they will inherit the earth. It says, blessed are the starving, because they will be satisfied. Over and over and over again, he shatters our paradigms of what the good life is. And so now, he's been doing this for two and a half chapters, and now he comes to the conclusion of the sermon. Now he's landing the plane. Now he's giving an invitation. Now he is calling us to respond. He is calling us to action. Because the truth is, Jesus didn't just give us this teaching. He didn't just give us this sermon so that we could talk about it, or so that we could argue about it, or even so that we could get all of our theology straight. He gave it to us so that we could live it. He doesn't just want you and me to know about the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't want us just to know about life as God created it to be. He wants us to experience it. He wants us to step into it. A number of you here even in this room, you've, you've been checking out Christianity for a while. You've been asking questions. You've been exploring different issues. And all of those are really, really important things. And it is really important to think about all of these different issues that, that you're studying and that you're, that you're trying to, to understand. But the fact is, at the end of the day, the kingdom of heaven is not just something to think about or just something to talk about. It's something to step into. It's something to experience. Jesus invites all of us today to step into life as God created it to be. He invites us to step into a relationship with him and a right relationship with one another that will change everything. And what Jesus shows us today in this passage is the same thing he has shown us all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. That the way to life is counterintuitive. That it's surprising. That it's upside down. That it is not what we naturally we're going to see three things today in this passage, verses 12 through 14. Three things that make the way to life counterintuitive. Three ways that Jesus turns our expectation upside down. 
We're going to see that the way to life is narrow. We're going to see that the way to life is hard. We're going to see that the way to life is unpopular. It's narrow. It's hard. It's unpopular. And I've got to be honest. When I, uh, when I got this passage, and I was thinking this week, okay, how am I going to teach through this passage? I was like, I've got to soften this up. I've got to package this up. I've got to make this feel a little, because here's the thing. I'm a people pleaser. I don't like to say hard things. I want you to like me, right? I mean, especially, it's Mother's Day. Can we, right? I mean, can we do something nice and warm and fuzzy and feel good? And Jesus here is talking about narrow and hard and unpopular and destruction. That makes a really bad Hallmark card. That does not make anyone feel excited to hear these things. For many of us, we would rather just stay in verse 12. In verse 12, Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, we like that, right? That resonates. That sounds good. Just sit there, Jesus. Jesus, you had a good thing going. Just stay right there. But then he goes to the very next verse and talks about it's narrow, it's hard, and it's unpopular. He uses the D word. He talks about destruction. See, a lot of us love verse 12, Jesus. We hate verse 13, Jesus. The fact is you can't have one without the other. You can't just take bits and pieces of Jesus. You can't just pick what you like from the Jesus buffet and go through and say, I like that, I'll take some of that, I don't like that, I don't want any of that. We can't just take what we like and then ignore the stuff that we don't like. In fact, I would say this. If Jesus never says things that rub you the wrong way, if he never says anything that challenges you or corrects you or contradicts you, then then you might not be following Jesus. Most likely you are simply following the rejection of yourself. You've remade Jesus in your image. You've repackaged him and you've pigeonholed him to make him play by your rules. But the real Jesus doesn't play that way. The real Jesus doesn't allow us to censor him. He is constantly breaking our expectations. He is constantly shattering our paradigms because Jesus came to turn the world upside down. And he came to turn your life and my life upside down. Probably a better way to say it is he came to turn your life and my life right side up. He came to make us into what God intended initially that we would be. He came to remake the world into the way that he initially created it. And what we're going to find as we walk through and as we pay attention to what Jesus is saying here is that this narrow gate and this hard road and this unpopular way is really the way to freedom and to life sounds daunting and off-putting and ugly at first, but it is the way to blessing and beauty and truth. So again, three things about the way of Jesus that we're going to see. It's narrow, it's hard, it's unpopular, but it's the way to fullness of life. First, the way of real life is narrow. Again, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now I know, even as I say that, we know narrowness is not typically considered a good thing. Certainly not considered a good thing in our culture. If someone calls you narrow, if someone calls you narrow-minded, that may be the worst thing they can possibly say about you in our culture. But the fact is that the idea of, of the narrow gate wasn't a popular idea in Jesus' day as well. Slightly different, but here's what it meant. In, in Jesus' time, the idea of narrowness was the idea of being crushed. It was the idea of having the life squeezed out of you, 
right? So quite literally, if I step on a bug, that bug literally dies of narrowness. That is the idea. It's the idea of being crushed. And on the other hand, the idea of broadness was the idea of security. It's the idea of safety. Psalm 18 19, uh, David says, God, you've brought me into a, into a broad place. You've rescued me. Narrowness is that idea of I'm on a narrow ledge overlooking a steep ravine. Broadness is the idea of I'm in a place where I'm nice and safe and secure and it's easy to move around. And here's what we naturally think. We naturally think the way to life is the wide gate. It's the wide space. It's security. It's safety. It's what's comfortable. It's keeping all of my options open and, and, and recognizing that I can do things my way. Jesus says, if you want true life, you can't just play it safe. If you want true life, you can't just go through the gate that feels natural to you. If you want true life, you don't just go through the gate everybody else is going through. If you want true life, you don't just keep your options open and do things your way. If you want true life, you have to come through the narrow gate. You have to come through me. You have to trust me enough that I have your best interests at heart. You have to come through Jesus. Enough to live life on his terms and give up your personal autonomy and follow him. Jesus is just painting a picture here from the architecture uh, of the ancient world. So in the ancient world, uh, say a city like Jerusalem, most cities, larger cities, they had a wall built around the city to try to keep attackers out. And so obviously to get into the city, you would have to go through a gate. And some gates are wider than others. So, imagine you're a merchant, and you're coming into Jerusalem, and you got your camel loaded down with, I don't know what they would load down, with a lot of stuff, and they got it all loaded down, and he gets to the narrow gate. He can't get through the narrow gate with all that stuff. He can't get through the narrow gate with that camel and all the stuff that he's carrying. He's got to go to the wide gate, or he's got to lose some of that stuff to get into the city. You simply couldn't get through the narrow gate because you were carrying too much stuff. When we used to live in, in New York City, we didn't own a car, but we'd sometimes rent a car and we'd drive out of the city for, for a trip for a few days. And then we would come back and, and sometimes we would come through the Lincoln Tunnel. Now, I don't know if you have ever driven through the Lincoln Tunnel, but here's what it's like. There are 14 lanes of traffic that all have to merge into one lane. So they all merge into one lane, and then it shoots you through this narrow tube underneath the Hudson River and shoots you out in the most densely populated place on Earth. It is a very tense situation. So there are tempers flaring, and there are horns talking, and there's a lot of nonverbal communication going on uh, if you know New York drivers. But there are certain restrictions on the kinds of vehicles that can drive through the Lincoln Tunnel. You can't drive a, a big truck through the Lincoln Tunnel over a certain length or over a certain width. You can't drive a semi through the Lincoln Tunnel. It simply won't fit. And Jesus says, some of you guys are trying to drive a semi through the Lincoln some of us are trying to enter the, the city of God. We're trying to enter the good life with all of this stuff that's keeping us from it. Trying to enter the city of God. Trying to enter the kingdom of heaven, but unwilling to leave anything behind. We want to find true life, but we won't give up the things that are killing us. We want the kingdom, but we won't give up the things that are holding us up back from the kingdom. See, the wide gate is the gate that we naturally choose because anything can fit through it because we don't need to change and we don't need to adapt and we don't need to give anything up. 
And this is how we, as 21st century Americans, have been taught to think about God. We've been taught to think about God as if he's some kind of a life coach. And God wouldn't possibly infringe on my personal autonomy. The wide gate is the gate that all of our culture is telling us to take. The wide gate is the gate of you do you. Boo-boo. You, 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 take, you can take, Jesus says, the wide gate, but the wide gate only leads to destruction. If you want to find life, you've got to go through the narrow gate. If you want to find life, Jesus says, it's going to mean divesting yourself of some things. Because there are going to be some things that need to be left outside the gate if you want to come into the city of God, if you want to experience the life as God intended it. It means I'm going to have to give up my own personal autonomy. It means that I'm going to have to give up my attempts to be my own God. Because Jesus isn't just a sage. And Jesus isn't just a great teacher. Jesus is the king. And he is inviting us here into his kingdom. He is the gate. And coming into the kingdom means coming through you, through him. See, see, you can't have the kingdom without the king. And if Jesus is the king, that means that he doesn't do life according to my terms. It means that I do life according to his terms. Because if Jesus has to play by my rules, then Jesus is no longer the king. Then I'm the king. What you find when you submit to him, what you find when you trust him, is that if he takes anything away, and if he asks you to give anything up, it is only so he can give you something The way of Jesus initially feels restricted. It can initially feel narrow. It is the path that leads to freedom. It is the path that leads to life. See, the truth is we all know that we are limited. We're limited human beings, right? And true freedom is found when we embrace our limitations. We live out our true humanity when we embrace God-given restrictions. Think about a fish. A fish can breathe underwater. Why? Because it was created to do that. If you or I try to breathe underwater without a scuba tank or whatever, we die. We die because we weren't created to do that. See, living with limitations means just living what God has created us to be. There are certain restrictions built in to what it means to be human. And understanding and living according to those limitations is part of living the good life that God designed us for. And if we don't pay attention to those restrictions, we die. If you don't pay attention to the restrictions related to your physical health, you die. If engineers and architects and bridge designers don't pay attention to the restrictions of the laws of the universe, people die. God's designed us. He has designed the universe. He knows how it works best. And embracing the way of Jesus is the way of embracing our humanity. It's the way of fullness and flourishing and life as God has designed it to be. Because if God created you, if God created you as a human being, and if Jesus loves you so much that he died for you, then you can trust him. You can trust him with your money. You can trust him with your relationships. You can trust him with your sexuality. You can trust him with anything in the world. Jesus' way is narrow because he's calling us away from the things that destroy us. He wants to give us true life. Now I fully realize, even as I say that, this idea, this, this restrictive kind of idea, this idea of narrowness, this is one of the major problems a lot of people have with Christianity. Maybe you're here today. Maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here for Mother's Day or for, for some other reason. 
And, and, and you sit here and you say, this is exactly my problem with Christianity. This is why I'm not into it. Because it's so narrow. Because it's so narrow-minded. Here's what I want you to think about. I would submit to you that everyone is narrow in some sense. That's the only way human beings can function. We have to choose certain things and not other things. Every society is narrow in some sense. Every society, for human society to function, has to say these things are in balance and these things are out of balance. These things are acceptable and these things are not. As 21st century Americans, we, we tend to, to view tolerance as, as the most important element in a society. That's kind of the way that we're taught. It's what we grow up kind of assuming. And our basic assumption is this. Our basic assumption is, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, you should never infringe on the freedom of other people. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, you should never infringe on the freedom of other people to do what they want. But let me just ask you this. Do you know that that's actually a very narrow way of viewing the world? That it is only a small minority of people in the world today who think that way. The vast majority of people who have lived in the history of the world vast majority of people who live today would disagree with that statement. That idea that, that we assume it, it is part is, is only prevalent in what social psychologists call weird culture. So here's a weird culture. <laughs> yes, it's kind of weird. Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. That's us. That's our culture. But that is only a narrow slice of the cultures in the world. That is only a narrow piece of all the societies in the world. And what we tend to do is we say, well, we know best. We, as weird people, as people who come from a certain society, we think that our way is culturally superior to these other cultures, to cultures that might be non-Western, to, to, to people groups that might be uh, not as industrialized or not as rich. And what we assume is that we know better. See, we think we're being so broad and tolerant. When in reality, we are being narrow and intolerant. That doesn't mean that the view is wrong, but it does mean that it's narrow. And we need to be honest about that. Everyone is narrow in some sense. So the question is not, am I being narrow-minded? Because everybody is narrow-minded. The question is, does my narrowness lead me to love and serve and welcome other people? Or does it lead me to dismiss them and exclude them? And I will submit to you that if you enter by the wide gate, you will actually become more narrow. Here's why. Because there's all these ways for me to choose. And I do it my way. And then what naturally tends to happen? I do it my way, but then there's those other people who aren't doing it my way. There's those other people who aren't measuring up, who don't see things the way that I see them, who don't do things the way that I do them. And I begin to try to justify myself. I begin to try to prove myself. I begin to try to make myself feel superior to other people. At least I'm not a Republican. At least I'm not a Democrat. At least I'm not a Muslim. At least I'm not a Christian. At least I'm not an LGBTQ person. At least I'm not a bigot. That's the wide gate. The wide gate says, I know best. I live life on my terms. And the natural corollary to that, where we all naturally go in our hearts, is, and people who don't do it my way are less than why it actually makes you into an extremely self-righteous person. But the narrow gate is altogether different. The narrow gate says, I can't figure out life on my own. I can't live life according to my terms. I can't come to God. I can't come into his kingdom on my own. I am no better than anyone else. The only reason I can find life that I can come to the kingdom is because of Jesus and his grace. And when that lands on you, you stop feeling the need to 
you stop feeling the need to prove that you are superior to other people. And you can welcome people who are different from you because God has welcomed you in Christ. And you can love people who are sinners because you're also a sinner and God has loved you in spite of your sin. So the road to true life must pass through the narrow way. And it actually makes us more loving and it makes us more accepting people. The only way to come into the kingdom is through a relationship. He's the gate to life. But Jesus goes further here. Notice, he doesn't just call us to walk through a gate. If you've ever gone to a sporting event, or again, here in New York, this drove me crazy in the subways, people would walk through the turnstiles and it would stop. There are other people trying to get through. Jesus is saying, I don't just want you to walk through the gate. I want you to get on the road. I want you to get on the way. That's the second thing we say. The, the, The way to life is hard. Calls us to a road. Look at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way, or the road, is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. If you read the book of Acts, you find that the earliest term for the followers of Jesus wasn't Christians, it wasn't religious people, it was the way. They were followers of the way. They were disciples. They were apprentices who were learning from Jesus what it means to be fully human. Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. It is that. Beliefs are important. Doctrine is important. But it's much more than that. It is a way of life. Because the fact is that if I believe that Jesus is who he said that he is, and if I believe that he did what he said that he would do, then I will follow what he told me to do. This idea of the kingdom as a way is not something that Jesus makes up here on the the spot. This is the imagery that you find all throughout the Bible. From the very beginning of the Bible, from the book of Genesis onward, God puts two ways in front of his people, and he says, choose life. Choose the way that leads to life. Genesis chapter 1, God creates human beings in his image. Creates and he says, I want you to flourish. I want you to, to, to enjoy my world. Genesis chapter 2, he says, I am giving you every tree in the garden. I'm giving you the world. The world is yours. So enjoy it. Just don't eat of that one tree in the middle of the garden. Because if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. I want you to live life to the fullest. So don't eat from that tree. And of course, what do Adam and Eve do? Genesis chapter 3. They say, We know better than God. We, we, we can do things our own way, and as a result, they're cut off from God, and death comes upon humanity. The good news is God doesn't give up on his humanity. And he begins redeeming people, and he begins calling people by his grace, and he invites them to experience his blessing in life by trusting and obeying him. And you find this, this invitation all throughout the scriptures. Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses, speaking to the people of Israel, he says this. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Moses says, God has called you by his grace to be his people. He is offering you blessing and life. So choose life. Psalm 1. Blessed, happy, flourishing is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, doesn't live that way, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that's a picture of life, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither, and in all that he does he prospers. 
The wicked are not so, but are like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's the idea, not just that he knows about it, but he is walking with them along the way. The Lord knows the way, the road of the righteous, but the way of the wicked Here's the path to life. Here's the path to happiness. Of hearing God's word and meditating on God's word and delighting in God's word, but not stopping there in doing God's word. In walking in the way of God's word. And now Jesus steps in here and says, that life that your first parents lost, when they chose death instead of life, I'm coming to give it back to you. Here's the thing. We are all naturally like our first parents. We all think that we know better than God. We all want to be our own king. We all want to be our own gods. And so the way of Jesus feels counterintuitive to us. It feels unnatural to us. It doesn't feel natural to love our enemies. It doesn't feel natural to turn the other cheek. It doesn't feel natural to forgive the people who have wronged us. It doesn't feel natural to honor God and honor others with our sexuality. It doesn't feel natural to rejoice when we're persecuted. But Jesus isn't calling us to the easy thing. Easy things are rarely good, and good things are rarely easy. Jesus is calling us into something so much better. He says, I'm calling you into life, and yes, following me will cost you, but it will be worth it. It's important that we say this here. Listen, what Jesus is not saying here, Jesus is not saying you need to be more moral. He's not saying you need to be more religious. You need to go out and and, and you need to do all these religious things. Because because the fact is, think about who Jesus is talking to here. If you've been here over the past few months. Jesus is talking to religious people here. He's just spent the last two chapters telling us, don't be like the religious hypocrites. There's got to be something deeper. See, Jesus is not saying, just go do a bunch of religious things. Just pray more and fast more and give more to the poor. This is not about doing the right things. It's about why you do the right things. See, the easy road, the road that leads to destruction, is full of both religious people and irreligious people. The easy way is the way of external, hypocritical self-righteousness. It's this fragmented life where I pretend to be one thing on the outside, but inside I'm something completely different. And the hard way that Jesus calls us to is the way of authentic, genuine, wholehearted love for God and love for other people. By the way, that's what Jesus says when he says in verse 12. So look back to verse 12. We're going to hit this. Verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's one of the most well-known ethical teachings in the entire world. It's, it's sometimes called the golden rule. And it's interesting, if you look at different religions, if you look at different moral philosophers, uh, this idea shows up in a number of different world religions. It shows up in Confucianism, it shows up in first century Judaism, it shows up in the writings of a number of ancient philosophers. But what's interesting is that every other religion and that every other philosophy this, this command is always framed in a negative way. In other words, it goes like this. It says, whatever you wouldn't want someone else to do to you, don't do that to them. So it's this, it's this negative statement. It's about not harming other people. But Jesus takes it and he turns it around and he says, whatever you would want other people to do to you, do that for them. There's a world of difference there. 
Other religions teach you don't harm your neighbor, and that's a good thing. But Jesus says that doesn't go deep enough. It's not enough just to not harm your neighbor. You should love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just about avoiding bad things. It's about loving your neighbor from your heart. And that way of love isn't easy. It is not natural. It does not feel natural for me to be as committed to the good of my neighbor as I am to my own. To care as much about their happiness as I care about my own happiness. Jesus says that's the way of the kingdom. That's the way that leads to life. See, every single one of us in this room is on these roads will inevitably lead us somewhere. That's the whole point of a road. A road isn't just like a running track. A road, the point of it is that it leads you to a destination. But Jesus says before these roads lead, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The easy road, he says, leads to destruction. The idea here is the idea of being ruined or, or spoiled or wasted. To love him and to love others, to enjoy him, to glorify him forever. But that easy road inevitably leads you away from God. It inevitably leads you away from life. It inevitably leads you to being completely separated from the presence of God. It leads you to destruction. He says that the road is hard that leads to life. It leads to life as God created it to be. It leads to life in God's kingdom now and in the future. Now I realize as I say that, that is extreme language. Jesus says destruction or life, blessing or curse. And for many of us, we hear this and and it's really off-putting. But listen, Jesus is using strong, extreme language here because he loves us. Because he wants us to experience life and not death. Because he wants us to experience blessing and not cursing. Because he wants us to experience heaven and not hell. Jesus is like a father who is warning his kids of danger. If you were to come over to to our house today and you were to walk into our kitchen, uh, one of the things you might notice is that there are no knobs on our stove. And the reason for that is because my two-year-old has discovered how to turn on the stove. He is absolutely fascinated with it. I mean, he is drawn to that stove by some inexorable force of destruction. And so, and so we literally take the knobs off the stove after we're done cooking, and we hide them in the silverware drawer. Because there have been times where I've turned around and seen my two-year-old climbing up on the counter, starting to turn on the stove. And what happens when I do that? What happens when I see that? I warn him. I warn him strongly. Sometimes I warn him loudly. I warn him urgently. I don't just stand there and say, hey, you know what, son, let's sit down and just, you know, like, I wouldn't possibly want to infringe on your autonomy. And I, you know, like, I don't want to impose my way of thinking on your way of thinking. I don't want to be overly narrow here, but let's have a conversation about whether that's really a good idea to stick your hand on the I'd be a horrible father if I did that. I'd be an idiot if I did that. When I see my son about to burn the skin off his hand, I warn him, that's hot, don't touch it. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's warning us. He's saying, friends, this is not a game. This isn't a game. This is life and death. So choose carefully. Choose the way that leads to life. He loves us enough to warn us. He loves us enough to tell us things we don't want to hear. 
here. I am not popular with my kids when I warn them about danger. I mean, my two-year-old gives me the dirtiest looks, and he turns beet red, and he screams his head off. But I love him enough as his father to warn him of these things, even when he doesn't like me for it. And Jesus knows. Jesus knows that a lot of us won't want to hear it. It's the third thing he says in this passage. The way to life is narrow. The way to life is hard, finally. The way to life is unpopular. The gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Again, that is a really hard thing for someone like me. Because I want everybody to accept me. I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to get along. Because I am desperately insecure. But Jesus isn't insecure. Jesus has the moral courage to tell us the truth. Jesus says the way to life is not the popular way. The way to life is not the majority You should never expect true Christianity to be popular. If you are following Jesus, you should always expect to be in the moral minority. So let me ask you, and let me ask myself, how is the way of Jesus making me different from the way of others in our city? How is the way of Jesus making you different from the way of your family? How is the way of Jesus making you different from the way of your neighbors and your friends whether you know it or not, we are all being discipled into a particular way. The way of the world tells you that real life is found in looking out for yourself and living on your own terms. The way of Jesus tells us that real life is found in looking out for the good of others and entrusting our Father enough to live life on his terms. The way of the world tells us that real life is found in doing what feels easy and doing what feels natural. The way of Jesus tells us that real life is found in trusting that God has our best interests at heart, even when it feels hard and unnatural. The way of the world will promise you the good life, but in the end, it will hollow out your soul and it will lead to destruction. The way of Jesus is hard and it is unpopular and it is narrow, but it is the way to the fully human life that you've been created for. The narrow gate leads to freedom, the hard road leads to joy. The unpopular path leads to life. And here's how I know that it leads to life. Because Jesus isn't just telling us something here that he has not already done. Jesus is the narrow gate. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he has made a way for us to enter into his kingdom. See, Jesus is the one who walked the narrow road. The road that none of us has perfectly walked. The road of absolute and unwavering obedience to his Father. Jesus is the one who walked the hard road. He literally took that cross on his back. He literally walked the road to a place called the skull where he died for your sins and mine. And Jesus is the one who walked the unpopular path. The path of being rejected by his closest friends even of being forsaken by his father. My God, my God, why are you forsaken? But it wasn't the end of the story. Because even though the narrow road cost him his life, death itself couldn't keep him in the way. Because three days later, he rose from the dead and he conquered the power of sin and death and hell. And he rose, it says, to the right hand of the Father. And he sent his spirit to live within us so that we could live this life that he created us for. Jesus shows us what the fully human life is, and he empowers 
His Spirit to live that life. So friends, the narrow way can feel restricted. And the hard road can feel painful. And the unpopular path can feel lonely. Sometimes if we're honest, it might feel like something is dying inside of you as you fall. But the way of Jesus is so full of resurrection life that death itself can't kill you. So come through the narrow gate and walk the hard road. Because what you're going to find is that if you give anything up, you will gain something that is so much better that it's not even worth comparing. Jesus offers us freedom to This road is unpopular, but it is not exclusionary. Everyone is welcome to come and follow Jesus. doesn't matter how religious or irreligious you might be. doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're black or if you're white, if you're Republican or Democrat, if you're gay or straight. Jesus invites us to come to him. He invites us to trust in him. He invites us to leave those things outside the gate that are keeping us from life and to come and find what it means to be fully human, what it means to be fully alive. Great verse, the very next chapter, Matthew 8, Jesus says this, Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he means when he says that. He says the people that you least expect, the people who seem unworthy, the people you think those people are hopelessly lost and far from God, Jesus is bringing them into the kingdom. He is inviting them to the feast. He's inviting us to so he says, come and feast. Come to Jesus. Eat and drink and be satisfied. Nothing else will ever satisfy you. The wide gate, the easy road, the popular path, none of that will ever satisfy you. So give up those things and find your life in Jesus. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a tangible way that Jesus invites us into peace. Simple bread and simple cup here, but it reminds us that body and his blood was broken for us so that we could come into the kingdom and feast with him. So if you're a Christian today, if you're trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection to make you right with God, if you're trusting him enough to follow him, then come and eat and drink today. So we have stations at the front, we'll have stations in the gallery out in the back, so we come down the aisle, tear off a piece of the bread and take it and return to our seats. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you would say, I'm not trusting Jesus, I'm not following Jesus. First, thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to this kind of like hellfire and brimstone sermon. I, I realize that. Thank you for hearing that. But we just invite you just to observe while others come to take the bread and the cup. It's not because we think that we're superior in any way, shape, or form. It's because this meal is a reminder for those who have trusted in Jesus. And I would encourage you, watch, observe. And, and, and even as you see this bread being broken, even as you see people dipping it in the cup, be reminded, Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is inviting you into his kingdom. He's inviting you to find true life. He's inviting you to come to the feast. So if you've got questions about that or about anything we talked about, we'd love to speak with you after the service. So let me pray. Let's take the Lord's Supper. Father, if we are honest with ourselves, we've got to confess that we tend to just want to do things our way. We, we want to live on our own terms. We want to be our own gods. We want to be our own kings. And the truth of the matter is that that only brings destruction. That only brings death. So God, I thank you that you haven't left us there. I thank you that you haven't left us 
on the road to destruction. Thank you that Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. He loves us enough to call us away from, from the things that are destroying us. He loves us away enough to call us away from the way that leads to destruction and call us to the way that leads to life. Father, I pray for anyone here who maybe they're wrestling with whether they should step out, step through that narrow gate, step on that broad way, that they should trust you, that they should follow you. Father, I pray that you would make that clear to them. I pray that you would make yourself clear to them and draw them away from the road of destruction and onto the path of life. Pray for some of us who are just weary, just tired. We're tired of walking this hard road. God, would you sustain us? Would you encourage us? Would you, would you fill us and give us strength by your Spirit to keep walking with you on the road that leads to life? Father, as we think about the body and the blood of Jesus, thank you for it. I pray that even as we take this meal, that it would nourish our faith, that it would remind us of